to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Ninety-one Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to Ninety-One Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at NinetyOneDonkeyLane.com. See you there, you donkeys. episode 250 jesus christ holy shit brian those five years must have flew by for you. <laughs> boy did they ever so we are doing our 250th episode um as per the norm with these episodes we tend to like be a little bit iffy on revealing our cards and to the the 50s tend to always be episodes that are somehow either something that's been brought up a bunch on the show or something that's personal to all of us. You know, Sleepaway Camp, we had brought up multiple times before we did it as episode 50. But then from that, you had like Monster Squad at episode 100. 150 was Gremlins 2, which we had made references to throughout the whole episode and had uh, Jonathan London as a guest on that one. And then episode 200 with Beetlejuice in honor of Brian's Beetlejuice Six Degrees. <laughs> and for Freaked... I mean, this is like one of those movies that I know for Brian and I, we grew up on this movie and it was an obscure ass movie to grow up on. And Scott, I think you saw it because of Reddit Horror Club. And it's just been one of those movies that sticks with you once you see it. Yeah. Yeah. I had never even heard of it before you. I, I got to <laughs> I got to be honest. So when I watch movies from my childhood, they either hold up or they don't. Yeah, that's usually how it works, Brian. This is the first one that's split right down the middle. Like, oh no yeah like 50 percent of it really holds up and then 50 percent of it what i thought was funny just isn't funny to me anymore but i still thoroughly enjoyed the watch i mean like the special effects i love right the the, the... well that's that screaming mad george yeah. money <laughs> i wonder if it's necessarily because here's the thing i don't know if it's that the jokes don't hold up anymore or if we have watched and quoted this movie for 25 years that some of the jokes have just lost meaning. No, no, because there's certain things that are that were so funny to me as a kid that are still so funny to me. Like, 
it sucks that it's so far into the movie because I'm just aching to say my favorite part. I'm just trying to wait because it's such a simple line, but it is it made me laugh the hardest out of any scene in the movie. <laughs> Let's dive into it and we'll go we'll go in semi chronological order. I watched this movie and I was reading a book simultaneously, like not simultaneously, but I was reading a book and then as soon as I finished the book, I put on Freak. And the book that I was reading was called Wild and Crazy Guys. And it's about the comedy of the late 70s and early 80s and how it influenced Hollywood as a whole. And it kind of breaks it up into all the different types of camps, like the Bill Murray camp of comedy, Steve Martin camp of comedy, and so on and so forth. And I found myself while I was reading the book really gravitating to like the things that Steve Martin said about comedy. And the one thing that he said about comedy was that most people, when they're a comedian, they go up on stage. Their goal is to tell a joke and get the crowd to laugh. But Steve Martin has always been more focused on how stupid the concept of going up and telling jokes is. And that becomes the joke to him is the absurdity of the act of performing comedy. Mm -hmm. When I look at the things that I loved as a kid that no one else seemed to like when I would try to make them watch it, stuff like Freaked, it totally makes sense that that is like the wavelength that I'm on when I when I watch these movies. And I think that Freaked is one of those movies that very much intentionally is abstract and dumb and that's supposed to be the joke more than a lot of the like set up to a punchline type jokes but honestly dude i think giving the time that this movie was come out like this this movie came out and how we were as a culture like i think this forgotten film is strictly due to poor marketing oh 100 like i don't think it's like an obscure market too much like i think that if this was marketed well this would be a huge staple of of that era well and you know the whole story they they purposely made the movie fail which is okay i didn't know that they had signed a multi-million dollar deal for this movie they had action figures they had a comic book tie-in they had i didn't know they had action figures yeah you can google and find them on ebay for like hundreds of dollars it's way too much but like they were like this is going to be our big summer hit and then the guy who signed the movie got fired and the new person was like this is shit and they l- released it in one theater over one weekend and then just sold the rights to cable television. Like the studio themselves purposely bombed the movie and also made them edit it down to a PG-13. It was shot as an R-rated movie. Did we watch an R-rated movie? No, we always saw it as PG-13. Well, hopefully uh, Alex Winter can get his hands on it. Like they did. Yeah, I was about to say like, are we going to get yeah, a Tammy and T-Rex kind of situation? <laughs> yeah. it's, a solid, it's a solid, goofy, ridiculous movie. And it starts off with something that I have always loved and will always always love this will never go away for me is this great opening theme song by henry rollins with the crazy claymation sequence. so good yeah it's so fucking good. i didn't realize that was henry rollins yeah it's henry but rollins that makes sense singing for blind idiot god um most of the soundtrack is either butthole surfers or blind idiot god because the movie was written to be a butthole surfers film originally it was a horror film starring the butthole surfers are they in it at all the lead singer has a cameo as the guy who stands up and yells hey he's got a hand under there (laughs) 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 which is an amazing joke but (laughs) 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 but yeah so similar to mine i'm excited But yeah, so they started off, the very first thing is a reference to the short-lived TV show that Alex Winter and Tom Stern, who wrote this movie, an eight-episode show for MTV called The Idiot Box. Uh, That was a sketch show, and one of their sketches was called The Flying Gimp, and the episode kicks off with the immortal line, The Flying Gimp has been destroyed, you may return to your homes, before immediately cutting into their fake TV show. And we get an introduction to Ricky Coogan, who's our main focus. He's the star of the Ghost Dude movies. 
<laughs> Boo, dude. <laughs> it took me, I don't even know how many views of this movie to realize that when they cut to his super fan Stewie's bedroom, he's got billboards and posters for all these other movies that are just famous films with the word dude placed into it. So it's like the <laughs> Robo Dude. And, like, and just like Alex Winter's face taped onto Robocop. <laughs> it's like the dumb background jokes with that, but they, they he tells the story of how he became a hideous mutant freak. One of the first jokes that I wrote down, and it's one that uh, my cousin Dave and I would quote all the time, is you got William Sadler, and he's playing the head of EES, the Everything Except Shoes Corporation, and he's introducing his primary researcher, Juan Valdez, and the, the actor comes in and he goes, my name is Josh Romines. And then it's this evil, sinister music. And he's like, but you are fine, aren't you? Juan. <laughs> See, I never got the, I mean, I think that's just a stupid, absurd joke. There's nothing like beyond that to it, right? No, no. It's just the the way that he says Juan in the music, making it just seem so much more sinister than the scene actually is. I love William Sadler. Let me just. You know, remind everybody. I mean, there's not a single person in this movie that's not giving it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like they are all in on the joke. And then we introduce the character from Blossom, who plays his best friend, walks in rocking a Red Hot Chili Peppers t-shirt, <laughs> which is a reference to Tom Stern, directed a Red Hot Chili Peppers music video before this, and directed what I still consider to be the best Marilyn Manson music video of all time, Dope Hat, which is just mm. a parody of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Such Factories. Such a great it makes so much sense that the guy who made that video also made Freaked. <laughs> like yeah. it, it's it's just as equally weird and bizarre and trippy. This leads to what I always considered the make it or break it moment for people watching the movie, which is Stewie falling out of the plane. <laughs> Dude, it's such a great setup. I don't know. Just the giant thing of hay. Falls <laughs> 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 right next to it. <laughs> You know, I really wish that they would have just left it at that and not have the book hit his head because, I mean, Stewie's super annoying. And this movie is like, this movie is super annoying. You know, I don't want anybody listening to think that this movie isn't annoying, but it's doing that on purpose. It's saying like, don't enjoy this movie. It's very odd. It's it's a movie that like literally begs you to hate it. But it's also like you can't stop looking at it because of the special effects are so incredible. I remember listening to the commentary track and they were like, I think it was Alex Winter was like, yeah, you know, we didn't even get nominated for like a best makeup award, which I mean, I understand because no one saw this movie. And obviously Mrs. Doubtfire certainly deserved that award over this because they did a great job of making Robin Williams look like Robin Williams in drag versus a full transformation of a person into a monster. But what do I know about special effects? We finally introduce Randy Quaid and that's when this movie really just gets... Like it goes from like a zero to a thousand when Randy Quaid walks out there and it's just the special effects, the the set design, everything just like goes up in value. I think I read that this was a $12 million film and like $10 million was just for special effects and set dressing. <laughs> That's incredible. And like everything, everyone else just worked at like a lower rate <laughs> because they were like behind the movie. And Randy Quaid just has a way of selling lines that really aren't funny on paper but his delivery works the first moment that i really noticed that while doing this rewatch is when he brings him into like he's he tells him he's got a secret display in his shed and he closes the door and he's laughing and then it cuts to him reading a newspaper and he's like i just 
I love the family circus. I know it's the same joke, but I just love their Muppet shenanigans. (laughs) I really wish he wasn't insane. Yeah. Oh, is Randy Quaid insane? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Like legit insane. Hiding out in Canada because he's convinced that there's a conspiracy theory to assassinate him if he ever steps foot in the United States again and like drives around in an RV at all times paranoid. So he's literally... yeah, yeah, he Holy turned. Shit. Into, yeah, he yeah. turned into his character from from Independence Day, like fully. Well, not just his in Independence Day, but he he basically got typecast doing that in Christmas Vacation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, he just he lives the character too much. Now. Yeah, but like the vacations, this Kingpin, like they're just movies that Randy Quaid really made my childhood better. He had a good ability to deliver the most absurd line with complete sincerity, and that is, like, a very tough skill. Yeah. And not to get off freaks, but... (laughs) Not to cut you off and get off freaks, but he also had the ability not to deliver a line, because one of the funniest scenes in Kingpin, in my opinion, is when they're driving away from the house, and he's like, I think he's fine, and then it just cuts to him in that frozen scream face in the back of the car. (laughs) He does such a good job of selling the dumbest jokes in this movie, like the Ramada in. Oh my god! (laughs) I guess I shouldn't have these either. (laughs) That joke is it. That's that is arguably my favorite joke in the movie. It's so absurd and stupid. Like it's and it's it's all of it. It's the build up to it, the way he screams it, the long shot of him holding the towels, and then them screaming in terror. Like yeah. Oh, God, it's absurdity stacked on top of absurdity. And then you get the reveal of the half monster face. And it's so good. Well, before that, the transformation of the two, like them as Siamese twins, isn't that crazy of an effect. But the whole claymation with like Gumby jerking off and like all that stuff. <laughs> like, that away. <laughs> Well, and, like, they put in those little homages to, like, Harry Halson by having, like, the Cyclops from Seventh Voyage of Sinbad mm-hmm. pop its head out. And, like, it's so weird because this movie is so aggressive. It's a very aggressive comedy. <laughs> but it's also such a love letter to, like, very weird abstract concepts of mm-hmm. movies. Like, it, it's not, like, a love letter to one specific movie, but, like, peppered throughout, you can tell, like, Oh, this is like them writing a little bit of a love letter to like vaudeville. And like, this is them writing a little bit of a love letter to like old claymation movies. Like it's really them pulling from all of the things they adored and making a film out of it. One of the things that I didn't know until literally the other day when I was doing some research for this, Tom Stern, we had talked about how Tom Stern's career after this movie, like tanked terribly. Mm -hmm. The studio, like basically he, he had signed a three contract deal where he was supposed to write and direct three movies. And after this one, they just took the original scripts of his movies, did a bunch of rewrites, but left him as the primary writer for them. And they became American Werewolf in Paris and Pinocchio's Revenge. What? Um, And I would have loved like I would have loved to see his versions of those movies and what his original takes on those were. So his career, as, as well as Alex Winters, like they both just disappeared for like two decades. And then Alex Winter has like done a bunch of documentaries. He did like download it, which was the history of Napster and stuff like that. Tom Stern is the the creator of the Toys That Made Us series oh, on Netflix. Oh, cool. And I was like, that's, I mean, that again makes sense because this is such a love letter to those toys. Yeah. Like you watch Freaked and you're like, this is someone who wants to make their own like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line of toys. Everything's so well thought out. And you know what show I'm going to, I'm sure I can get it on DVD for like $4, but I want to check out because as I was doing a quick research on Tom Stern, he came up on it and... 
Trey Parker and Matt Stone are the creators, and it just was such a failed show, and I was so young, I never watched it. That's my bush. I yeah, think it only the, went for like one season, but everyone involved in it, I'm like, man, how did I? I just never watched the show. I remember it being on Comedy Central, but at the time, it was like, this isn't a cartoon, and I only like Simpsons and South Park, <laughs> you know? Well, because it was such a weird concept. It was like George Bush won the election. None of us want George Bush to win the election, so they just made what was supposed to be like a shitty 70s sitcom based around George Bush's presidency. While he was president? Because I don't while, know anything about this. Yeah, while yeah. he was, it was during his first year in office. They made like a honeymooners type show about him being president. What And I'm fuck? sure I would like it now because I re- saw bits and pieces and it didn't do anything for me. But that's also the exact same thing with like, at that age, Strangers with Candy was on during the day. And I was like, this is the worst show I've ever seen. And I remember Wet Hot American Summer would come on like once a week at night. And I'm like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. Cause I was just so young and I didn't, yeah, my brain didn't develop what real comedy was yet. You know? <laughs> and this movie, like there's something to be said about the connection of freaked and what had American summer. Mm-hmm. We get a nice little cameo from Keanu Reeves as Ortiz, the dog boy that I have a question. And Matt would know this. Is it him? It's not him embarrassed that he's in it. It's like a guild thing, right? Why he's not credited. <laughs> like, like given his thing, it's just like, he was probably advised not to be in the movie and this was part of it because he seems too chill to be like, you can't put my name on this. I think that his agent said, you absolutely can't do that yeah, movie. That's... And he was like, yeah, sure, I won't do that movie. And then he was like, yo, Alex, I'm totally going to do that movie. <laughs> yeah. Just, you can't say it was me. You know what I mean? Because he's such a nice guy. I couldn't ever see him being that, like, I'm too good for this. And I like just like, his character is so weird. Like he's supposed to have an accent, but the accent seems to be that he just throws uh at the friend of random words. So he's yeah. like, he just has a Keanu Reeves accent. That's yeah, he's like, who a starred in The Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Probably my favorite way that any group of characters has ever been revealed in a giant game of Hollywood squares. And that's how we introduce all of the other freaks, including Mr. T as the bearded lady and Bobcat Goldthwait as Sockhead. Well, let's not let's not forget the uh, the frog who is literally just a man in a scuba. A frog suit. man. <laughs> yeah, I actually really dislike that character. But the the best part about um, that Hollywood Squares is when they're telling their. Well, no, I'm sorry. It's later when they're telling how they became. Oh. God. freaks it is and, so and good. he comes up and he like he's like I, I was i was living a lie and then randy quaid goes hey you know you'd be better off without a dick i love that he says you'd be better off without a dick and mr t puts up a fighting pose and goes you could keep the beard and then they just hug <laughs> hallelujah uh i mean i like bobcat goldthwaite story of I was coming out here looking to fish, and then he turned me into a sock. I'm sorry, I'm not good at storytelling. <laughs> but I mean, the the star in that is the hammer, the flashback, yeah. and they're all crying. <laughs> but then we get to the first freak show, and like that is just like there's again like the set dressing. We talk about the special effects a lot when we talk about freak. But my god, the sets on this movie are insane. Like you walk in to that carnival tent and it is just chaos and there's something happening in every inch of that frame there's a heavy petting zoo the heavy petting zoo <laughs> the I'll fart your weight doesn't really work for me anymore but it's still funny <laughs> like... so this is the scene where it, 
I genuinely laughed. I'm not saying it's the funniest, but it made me laugh the hardest is this scene. And it's when the um, owner of EES comes and he's explaining how Ricky Coogan, they're not going to help him. And then he calls him ugly and everyone's laughing. And then it's just the old guy going, ah, what a putz. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and like, I never realized this before. And I don't know if I heard this in a commentary track and then forgot it or not. But that EES speech to me seems so inspired by what the studio notes were that they were probably getting at the time that they were shooting this, where it's just like, Hey, you know, we're loving this new image and you know, I'm sure the kids will love it, but the big boys upstairs, I just don't think are going to get it like like that. Like it's just, and, and it's such like a, you know, cathartic, just like being the star of the movie, creating a character to tell you the notes that you can't stand that you're receiving. And then you get to rip that person's head off and smash it into the ground. <laughs> There's the ca- the cameo of the director in Alex Winter and like a slightly dated joke, but it still makes me laugh where he says, you're going to see things so horrible that if you're one of the more sensitive crowd members, I suggest you leave at this time. And it just cuts to the two of them in like a very like kind of flamboyant, but like yuppie-ish state. And they just look at each other and then just get up and walk out <laughs> without saying anything. We talked about the hand joke. The 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 fact that a riot breaks out because the the sock head mutant is actually a hand-headed mutant with a sock over its hand. <laughs> <laughs> The old lady. It's a the nun. It's a hoax. I want to <laughs> say that that's some sort of like religious joke too, but I don't know. I mean, regardless, it's hysterical. Anytime you throw a nun at a freak show, <laughs> works for me. But then that whole thing happens, and then we get to the other bit that I think is like one of my favorite absurd jokes, which is the milkmen sequence. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> like, there's a lot of milkmen on the same route. No wonder they're fighting. <laughs> it's so it's so funny it's such a dumb joke but hey you gotta see this what is it i just took a dump that looks like kim basinger if i had a nickel for every time she's naked too (laughs) i gotta see this that's just a regular turd kind of looks like winona ryder (laughs) oh god it's it's like the nothing makes like the scene where he's trying to escape and every single thing has a different type of lock on it like it's such dumb humor but it makes me chuckle the whole time i know i have always wanted this movie on soundtrack never came out on soundtrack it just got a vinyl release maybe a few months ago and i would want to buy it just for the freaks that's what they call us montage song where they're building out their big plan on how they're gonna turn rick into a good super freak and this is where we get to the bit that I feel like the most people remember. They get into the lab, they start up the machine and it's super loud. And then it cuts to Randy (laughs) Quaid watching a show called Crooked Cops (laughs) featuring, I believe Ted and Sam Raimi as the Crooked Cops. Oh my God. I think I read that somewhere that they're like the two actors playing the Crooked Cops, but so he doesn't hear it. And then they're like, all right, well we got to be quiet. And they knock over a styrofoam cup that taps on the ground. (laughs) And Randy Quaid jumps up and he turns his head and looks at the camera and says, Styrofoam Styrofoam cup. (laughs) (laughs) And then he can't get the door open because he ate too much popcorn. Damn butter popcorn. (laughs) 
I don't know why my impression of Randy Quaid sounds like the guy from Jaws, but yeah, you just sound like Quaid from Jaws, like a Jaws as chief. Black eyes. He finally gets in there and he picks up the cup and says, "Bed for the environment," and crushes the cup. And it's such a dumb, pointless scene, but I adore it so much. And I don't have a ton of notes after this, Brian. You have we gotten to your like part that you can't wait to talk about? Was it the styrofoam yeah. cup? No, it was the what a putt. The oh, what a putt. <laughs> you said it was so late in the movie. I thought it was like in the final act. Um, well, I mean, it, it was like, hey, welcome to horror movie night, and I'm sitting here antsy. So, <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Two of the things that I wrote down that have always stuck with me that I've always loved in this movie. And the one doesn't hold up as much as I used to, but I used to love the machismo commercial (laughs) so much. Well, it's you know what it reminds me of is fucking uh, Brondo. Okay, remember the. I was going to say, it reminds me of the Yogi Beer commercial from uh, Stay Tuned. Because that's my favorite stuff. I mean, like. Even even our pilot that we shot. I mean, the my favorite thing is making fake commercials. I think yeah. I think that's the most fun <laughs> because you get to like. I mean, I still to this day, uh, as I've watched the pilot like seventy five to a hundred times at this point in editing, like certain things have been like less funny because you can only hear people make the same comment so many times before it just you become desensitized to the punchline but i think that that serial commercial just (laughs) like it's so it's so good it's so good and then i think about how much like that was the most fun was filming that serial commercial i'm so bummed that scott wasn't there for that night but i'm glad i wasn't because it wouldn't be nearly as funny if i was in it and we did find another scott we were very strict on that (laughs) but yeah just like doing take after take and i i remember brian and i re-watching the the footage when we were editing it and it's like every single take as soon as kyle says cut it's just an explosion of laughter like it was just people having the most fun possible so yeah, that was the worst not worst but the hardest thing to edit because nine times out of ten editing is fairly easy you have five takes and usually the fourth or fifth is the best take this was like ten takes and ten great options so for <laughs> every scene it was like trying to figure out what told the story best or or fit the vibe <laughs> of it. It was very it was very difficult though. Yeah, but the other the other thing at the end of this movie that I've loved is the giant mutant shoe that all of EES becomes. Uh, that whole sequence of them getting blasted by the Zygrot twenty four gun and they like melt into this giant puddle. <laughs> And then they come back as this really gnarly looking claymation shoe. And the joke is just made better by the one guy trying to get away from it in the background. <laughs> it's definitely not made better by Randy Quaid's weird Ed Sullivan. That's a really big shoe joke. But uh, yeah, I didn't like that. That quote at all. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't. It could have done without it. It doesn't fit with the rest of the movie that doesn't make a lot of pop culture references in that way. But then the line that has stuck with me for years First, we had to read that article about the house that dripped blood. (laughs) (laughs) That scene stuck out this time. And the fact that you thought that that was the reason I picked the house that dripped blood. You realize how insane you are. (laughs) (laughs) I also, I love it when, uh, at the end, when 
uh, you know, we haven't mentioned that Brooke Shields is in this. This is true. Uh, yeah. which I, Her and Morgan Fairchild just popping in for no reason. Yeah, for no fucking reason. <laughs> but I, I really love when she's she right before the uh, machismo commercial. She's like, Rick, you've been talking for almost 90 minutes. He's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and then she goes to the commercial break. They come back and then um, she's yawning. Yeah. Uh, which I just this it's such a stupid stupid joke, but I just think that's very funny. Well, I I think the jokes don't get much dumber than the very end of the movie. They turn on the lights to reveal that, and it's yeah, he's it, normal again. He's perfectly normal. He's just sitting behind a cactus that somehow was moving and shaking with his head movements. The whole time. <laughs> yeah, and then just the reveals of all of the the different characters, and then Worm comes out ridiculous just because a man doesn't like macaroons <laughs> and ortiz the dog boy appears chasing that squirrel the whole movie <laughs> so weird it's such a dumb and like there's a phrase in script writing and i can't remember the exact phrase but the concept is like the absurdity of like everybody suddenly has this happy ending and things just work out even though it doesn't make sense that they would work out and like this just plays that up to such an absurd level at the end where it's just like we're all back together and everybody's better except for these two characters, but they're perfectly happy with what's going on in their lives. And like Stewie's here and like, hey, we found Randy Quaid. He's Brooke Shields. We killed him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, I don't quite understand the, there has to be some reason why they have that annoying kid in the movie. And I don't think that I've ever asked you that, but like, um, is that some sort of Ian joke that I don't know about? I don't know. The best that I can think of is that a lot of this script seems because I know for a fact that like the boo dude stuff is like him making jokes about Bill and Ted, like like the absurdity of being like only recognized for this one movie role. And I feel like that's like I feel like Stewie's just supposed to be like a mocking of like that super fan that has like all of your memorabilia and you're just such a dork and you're so uh, like kind of how we talk about like the neck beards that bitch about shit on the internet. Like I think that this was kind of that same vibe of like an internet troll gets turned into an actual troll <laughs> by the end of the movie. <laughs> but he wasn't a bad kid. No, he was you really, know, that's why I... yeah, I don't ever, I never got that. I think that it's also supposed to be like, cause so much of this movie is inspired by like, looney tunes yeah and, and it I, really is and i feel like it's just kind of a like hey in looney tunes sometimes you have this good character that just keeps like he's almost like the daffy duck like no matter what he does he's gonna get beaten up and mocked and like shot in the face by elmer fudd try try as he may but that's my that's my guess but all in all like still love this movie i'm so glad that we finally did an episode on it this was episode three of reddit horror club holy fuck <laughs> this was you weren't even on that episode that was me and miguel uh, no but that was the first time i watched this movie yeah but yeah what a what a good time and we've done this for like two or three different live streams i know tom bitches about it every time because he hates this movie but you know what suck it tom yeah Oscar, <laughs> thanks, thanks for five years of support you're a great guy <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. 
91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. <laughs> so you guys got some double features? Well, Matt, you know what? You got us all together. Okay. Then I'm going to take the one that we get, that we mentioned briefly. When I watch Freaked, one of the movies that I immediately want to watch afterwards is Wet Hot American Summer because they're just such a similar... Like, the comedy is the absurdity of the situation and not so much, like, setting up jokes, but, like, writing a bit in which someone is being chased by a man on a motorcycle and then gets stopped in the road <laughs> by a single tiny barrel of hay <laughs> that they have to dramatically leap over but the motorcycle can't go around <laughs> like... man i fucking love wet hot american summer i think it's about time to rewatch that shit oh, it's so good so my double feature will be another movie like freak that i used to watch a lot as a kid it has some effects but but not nearly close as much as this but still i would love a friday night to watch freaked and then follow it up with drop dead fred <laughs> I don't know if I could rewatch that movie. I mean, it's it's. I watched it as a kid, and maybe I missed the point of it. But I remember being pretty disappointed with it as a kid. Oh, I loved Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> I just remember that one of the imaginary friends' head explodes at one point, and they're like a robot underneath. It's like and, the only. Thing uh, you are actually selling it for me now. <laughs> I remember when Fred gets run over, and his head's like that fat, flat head. Oh, like that's cake. right. Yeah. <laughs> So we used to watch Drop Dead Fred, and I still can't figure out which system they had. It was not like a Nintendo or PlayStation or anything like that. But I used to watch Drop Dead Fred while you guys were all swimming, or I would play their Jurassic Park video game. That seemed oh like my. it was like a system made just for that game. I can't remember <laughs> what it was, but it was so yeah. good. It was like the same Doom style like setup, but you're just walking around the the laboratory, and Velociraptors are coming around. All right, listeners. <laughs> Yeah, You've got a mission. Figure that. this out. Yeah, please, please, because I will buy it again. <laughs> and, and Scott, what was your double feature? Well, I just need an excuse to watch Tourist Trap, so um, I figure since this is a <laughs> Tourist Trap movie... It makes I... sense. Yeah, I, I'll take it. <laughs> I was I was really hoping that neither of you guys were like, you're a Tourist Trip, because I was like, I got nothing else, you know? <laughs> God damn, I fuck, love Tourist Trap. It's, it's so, so good. good. Uh, all right, so... Let's talk about some stuff that we watched that we want to talk about. Uh, I mean, I started with the double feature, so I'll talk about this. I took the time to watch all three seasons of Scream the TV show. And the first two seasons are actually pretty good. I will never say that they're better than any of the movies. Like, it is, it's maybe on par with, like, it's a little bit better than part three as far as the TV show goes. But season three might be one of the worst seasons of television that I've ever seen. And the story was that MTV produced the first two seasons and then they canceled the show and then VH1 bought the rights to the show, but then recast it and did a completely new story and new direction. And it's garbage with this new direction that they took. But seasons one and two is like, it's fun. Like it doesn't try to be like a TV show adaptation of Scream. It tries to just do a new version of the concept of Scream. So, like, the mask is different. The the background legend is different. There's no references to any of the previous characters. It's just another killer who loves horror movies calling people on the phone storyline. But, like, 
it kind of works. It, it, the characters are enticing. It's interesting. It's got some good humor mixed in there. And then season three is just six dismal episodes. And I sent Scott. It's only six episodes. It's six episodes in the last season. Yeah. Holy shit. It plays up too many obvious jokes as well. But the two lines early on where I was like, oh, this is trash is uh, the one girl saying, you know, earlier we thought we were the breakfast club, but it looks like we're going to be the dead fast club. And I was like, oof. And then the uh, they're in the school and Ghostface gets on the PA and he goes, attention, Slash is now in session. And I was like, that's not my Ghostface. Ghostface is not a punny, punny guy. He's just a guy who's going to be like, I'm going to cut you open like a fish, you dumb. Whoa! Hey, man, that's what he says. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> that's the difference between Scream seasons one and two versus Scream season three. I think I watched the first season. It just kind of like the same thing when Jay was watching Riverdale. It was like every time there was something that I could appreciate, it just got way too teeny boppy. That's the other problem is like I, as I watched two 10 episode seasons, I found myself thinking like, you could have done this as like a two hour movie. Like you really could have condensed this. But I will say that the second, the first and second season, I was shocked at the gore level that they put into it. Like that caught me Mm -hmm. off guard because I was like, "Eh, MTV, how like gory can this be? And they're like twisting people's heads off and like slicing open guts and letting them spill out on the pavement and shit. So I was like, oh, all right, then. Can you give me a, a solid and um, just, just do it like a super gore yeah, cut? Just, just cut all the good stuff. I also need you to do me a solid because you're the only person on the show that would waste your time doing this. Oh, <laughs> MTV also had a few seasons of Teen Wolf, which was huge. Watch it. T- tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> Jade right. will do that. You don't have to ask your brother. Uh, I want him to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what did you guys want to promote? I watched uh, this. I watched this documentary just on a on a whim. Um, I've been trying to watch more documentaries to really focus on how they're getting made. So I've just been watching them at random. And I watched this one called "Shut Up, Little Man," and it was such a fascinating oh. story. It's pretty much like, I know about this, I think. Is this about the two like roommates that just fight all the time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, oh, yeah, that's so good, dude. dude. It was so good. And it was so fascinating about like how it is like it's considered the first viral video, but it's it predates the internet. So it was literally just like cassettes being passed around and it just became this huge, huge thing. It's it's such a fun story to watch what's the line he's like don't tell me good night or something like this don't call me good night <laughs> <laughs> um Brian, good night. don't call me good night <laughs> in, a, in a similar vein have you watched winnebago man no but you like i did years ago clips of it when you were watching it yeah because winnebago man's a similar concept of like predating the internet infamous like vhs tape that people would pass around Mm-hmm. And then the director being like, I need to find this guy and like finding the guy and interviewing him about like, what the hell was happening on this shoot? <laughs> so I went to Bonnaroo four years ago and uh, my favorite moment of Bonnaroo happened before Bonnaroo. And it was when we got out of the airport and went to get our RV. And before we rented the RV, we had to watch a 20 minute informational video that was shot by the company. And it was the worst acting shitty <laughs> explaining what it was but every like three to four minutes when there would be a, a, a cut scene it was life as a highway 
beautiful. The only song they used. <laughs> so, needless to say, our ride to Bonnaroo, we listened to that about 15 times on the, <laughs> on the journey. It's perfect because it is so cheery, it's so catchy, and it's so bad. You know, like it's a bad song. <laughs> it's a horrible song. That song sucks so hard. But anyway, Scott, how about you? Well, uh, since we've been talking about, well, I guess it was, I think it was last week or maybe maybe two weeks ago by this point, you were um, talking about how you burnt through Happy Season 2 yeah. because it came out on Netflix. And um, so I was like, well... I, I, you know, I got nothing but time because we're in fucking quarantine. So I started watching Happy from the very first episode. And it's, I got through season one. I ran through season one in like three days just because I had it on on my computer while I was working on my work laptop. And um, it's kind of like mindless fun. Truly the saving grace for me is Patton Oswalt. Yeah. I just, I love him so much. Um, he's so funny. He's, I think that he is one of my favorite voice actors. Yeah, he's got mm-hmm. such a, because it's one of those things where like, you listen to the voice and the characters that he voiced and you would never think of like how filthy his comedy can get because he <laughs> does have just such a, he is the, like you, I could not think of a better person to voice a children's imaginary friend. Yeah. 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 Voice. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, but I've been hearing him in my head for the last 24 <laughs> hours or so. It's, it's very odd. I feel like I may be losing it as well. But uh, it, it's a really funny show. I, I think that season two is probably going to be more my speed uh, just because it now has the supernatural aspect to it, which, as everyone knows, is my shit. That, that turn um, really did it for me. Also, like the very first episode, I'm only two episodes or three episodes into season two, but um, at this point, I was I was gonna try and like burn through the whole thing and be like, I watched all two seasons of Happy <laughs> and Five Days. All. <laughs> <laughs> I only made it um, about two episodes into the second season. All right, well, that was episode 250 of Horror Movie Night. Freaked, uh, and you know, you'd think that this is a show where we've done every possible genre that you could imagine, but. Tune in next week for episode 251, where we prove that there is certain movies that we haven't even touched on. This is Horror Movie Night, The Next Generation. We're we're now giving spoilers, just so everyone knows, I am going to push so hard for more of these. I'm not going to stop you, man. I'm okay with it. It was a fucking party. Uh, Yes, we, we had a party. That's all I'll say. And we're going to do this for another 250. Hopefully, maybe. We'll see what happens. Oh, my God. If we can get to 500 episodes without killing each other. I'm the first to go. (laughs) (laughs) First in, first out. (laughs) Or last in, first out. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your song. Hey there. 
Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 